This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. It's Sunday, June 23rd. I'm Margaret Brennan, and this is Face the Nation. President Trump makes an 11th hour decision to hold off on a military strike against Iran after it shot down an unmanned U.S. drone. Everybody was saying I'm a warmonger, and now they say I'm a dove. I think I'm neither. Will he retaliate? And just what is the president's red line when it comes to dealing with Iran? We'll also look at another flashpoint. Mr. Trump's plan to order immigration officials to round up and deport 2,000 people who are here illegally. Vice President Mike Pence joins us, along with House Armed Services Committee Chairman Adam Smith and the top Republican on the House Foreign Affairs Committee, Michael McCall. These are your candidates! Plus, South Carolina is this weekend's pit stop on the 2020 Democratic presidential campaign trail. We met up with Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders. He was just doing a limited strike. Oh, just a limited strike. Oh, well, I'm sorry. I just didn't know that it's okay to simply attack another country with bombs. Just a limited strike. That's an act of warfare. And our Ed O'Keefe talked to California Senator Kamala Harris. Plus, we'll have political analysis on the news of the week. All ahead on Face the Nation. Good morning and welcome to Face the Nation. We've got a lot to get to today and we will begin with Vice President Mike Pence. Mr. Vice President, good to see you. Good morning. Morning, Margaret. A lot to talk to you about on Ron, but first I want to ask you about the president's announcement this morning that he has decided to delay the roundup of migrants. Why did the president announce this law enforcement operation? Well, well, first, let's let's recognize we have a crisis on our southern border. We are on track this year to have more than a million people come across our border. And for the first time ever, the vast majority are families that are bringing children with them to to exploit what uh, what we understand are loopholes in our asylum laws. I mean, if people come across our border, make a claim of asylum, we can detain them for only 20 days and then they're released into the United States. The truth is 90 percent of those claims are denied and the vast majority, well, but the vast majority never show up for their hearing, uh, you know, a year, 18 months down the road. So, so the president is doing his job. We both took an, an oath to faithfully execute mm-hmm. uh, the laws of this country. Uh, he set into motion an internal enforcement effort to remove people who've been given due process of law, who've been adjudicated through a court order, ordered to be deported. But the president, talking with Speaker Pelosi and other Democrats, made the decision to delay two weeks and to call on the Congress once again to close the loopholes that human traffickers are using. Is that going to happen in two weeks? Family. You expect Congress to pass that in two weeks? Honestly, the, the, the president, I believe it could happen in 15 minutes. If Democrats in Congress will simply step up and agree to close the loopholes that we know human traffickers are using to exploit vulnerable families. Add to that more humanitarian assistance on this overwhelmed system and we can solve the crisis. You've lost the element of surprise because he announced the law enforcement operation and that's why many are saying this is purely for political reasons that the president would announce rounding up of migrants. Everyone that the president said that we're going to identify and arrest and deport have already gone through the legal process. Mm-hmm. But, but that being said, it's, 
it's just essential that Congress step up. I mean, the president declared a national emergency. We're already building the wall on the southern border. We'll have 400 miles built by the end of next year. Mm -hmm. But we recognize this new crisis of families coming up the peninsula, taking the long and dangerous journey north at the hands of human traffickers, often often subject of violence. Uh, and and worse on the journey north. I want to ask We only you about solve that. that by more humanitarian assistance for the customs and border personnel that mm-hmm. are doing their job every day, and by closing the loopholes that human traffickers well, are using. But the president's tweeting about rounding people up. He's not tweeting about some of the conditions that have been described as crisis level in the facilities that the United States is running, not across the border, not people who are out loose in the United States, but in U.S. detention facilities. And there have been details released over the past few days by uh, lawyers who've gone down and looked describing children sleeping on cold floors, filthy lice outbreaks, flu outbreaks, not in any way safe and sanitary conditions. Is that acceptable? And what is the White House going to do since, as you say, Congress is doing nothing? What are you going to do? Margaret, it's it's totally unacceptable. But the American people deserve to know that our dedicated Customs and Border Patrol agents are literally being overwhelmed by hundreds of thousands of people coming across our border to take advantage of loopholes mm-hmm. in our laws. So what are but you it's, going to it's, do about it at the executive level? If you well, say Congress is not, well, let me what be are clear. you going to do? When, when the president declared a national emergency earlier this year, we were asking Congress in January to give us more bed space. Democrats in Congress refused. Congress continues, although Speaker Pelosi has indicated a willingness to look at, at a bill that would provide more humanitarian assistance over the next two weeks. We're going to look to get those resources as well as close the loopholes. But look, it, we, we've asked for more bed space. We've asked for more support. Our Customs and Border Patrol agents are doing a, a job, but the system is overwhelmed. And the Homeland Security and, Secretary has sat here in, in your spot and said this crisis levels for a year. It is, it so is. how's the executive totally powerless to do anything about these unsafe, unsanitary conditions? Well, we're we're doing a lot with what the Congress has given us. But again, Congress refused to increase the bed space in the last appropriations bill. They continue so, to delay. So we just have to accept these conditions that are Additional humanitarian here? support. No, absolutely not. It's one of the reasons why the president's taken the strong stand that he's taken on the crisis on our southern border. That's why the president took the strong stand that he took with Mexico just a few short weeks ago. Mm-hmm. He told the government in Mexico, we're going to start imposing tariffs starting at 5% on all goods coming into the United States unless Mexico steps up. Right, but this was is within those, U.S. borders. Yeah, Margaret, I was in about. those negotiations with the Mexican delegation, the Secretary of State, and our team. And as we speak, Mexico is deploying 6,000 troops to their southern border. And for the first time ever, Mexico is taking back 100% of Central Americans mm-hmm. who apply for asylum in our country that will now remain in Mexico. We, we think that's part of the solution, but ultimately closing the loopholes, getting our dedicated Customs and Border Patrol agents more resources to deal with this overwhelming humanitarian crisis. That's how we address the issue. And and the president and I are going to continue to stand strong, call on the Congress to do their job. It's, it's amazing to think that 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 Mexico has done more Mm -hmm. to secure our southern border in the last 10 days than Democrats in Congress have done in the last 10 years. The American people deserve better. We're going to continue to demand that Democrats in Congress step up. Well, many would say that the people, those children deserve better who are already in U.S. custody. I I want to move on to Let me just, can I say that? I was down at one of the detention centers. It is heartbreaking to see what you see families that are in these detention centers, what we have. So what can you do? Exactly what we're doing. You can't do anything more other than blame that on the Democratic-controlled House? No, you can demand that the Congress do its job as the president Why isn't the president tweeting about it? He's tweeting about rounding people up. He's not tweeting about babies without diapers and sleeping on cold floors, the details that are horrific. Part of the way that we stem this mass migration that's being driven by heartless human traffickers who are taking $5,000 a person 
to entice vulnerable families to come north. Part of it is making clear that people will be deported. You know, in 2015, when President Obama did a round of nationwide internal enforcement and deported people out of the country, Actually, we saw illegal immigration at the southern border go down. I want to ask you about Iran. We have to do we have to secure the border with a wall. We have to close the loopholes. Mexico has to implement the agreement that they've made. But Congress has got to step up. The president's going to continue to demand they do. CBS confirmed that the U.S. has conducted cyber operations to hit uh, facilities in Iran linked to missile and rocket launches. Is this retaliation for shooting down the U.S. drone? Well, Margaret, as you know, we never comment on covert operations. Has there been any retaliation for shooting down the U.S. drone? As I said, I can't speak to that. What I can tell you is that as of tomorrow, we expect the president to announce an additional round of sanctions in response uh, to Iran's downing of an American uh, unmanned vehicle, uh, as well as in in a very real sense in in the wake of what was clearly Iran's action Mm -hmm. uh, in in attacking two tankers uh, in the straits. But look, what the the president did on Thursday was was listen to all of his advisors. And but at the end of the day, uh, the president concluded that that seeing the potential of 150 people killed mm-hmm. in an American airstrike when an unmanned American vehicle had been downed in airspace was not a proportional response. But Iran should not, uh, Iran should not confuse American restraint with a lack of American resolve. This president's made it clear. Uh, we are going to protect American forces in the region. We're going to protect American interests in the region. And the United States of America will never allow Iran to obtain a nuclear weapon. Well, Iran says it's going to increase its stockpile of enriched uranium. Is there a red line for the president that could happen this week? Well, Iran has announced that literally in a matter of days that they're going to exceed right. the uranium enrichment uh, limits within the Iran nuclear deal, which... Uh, uh, in our judgment, was one of the worst deals this country had ever entered into. You know, I was in the Congress back in 2010 when on a bipartisan basis we were able to enact punishing sanctions on Iran. And their, that is the U.S. strategy at this point is to continue economy, to strangle Iran's economy. And it's, it's devastated its economy. But well, it the has, bigger but it, but here's the question thing. is, what is the strategy? Because it only seems like Iran's lashing out. The but Margaret, region's more unstable. Margaret, They're struggling yeah. here. Look, the so American what people is deserve the next The American here? people deserve to know Congress on a bipartisan basis enacted sanctions. And from 2010 to 2012, even all the way to 2015, they right. were working. Iran's economy was contracting. But is that the they goal, just to pressure. strangle their economy? I thought the goal was to get to the negotiating table. What we want to do is stand with the Iranian people, thousands of which gathered outside the White House on Friday, and tens of thousands of which took to the streets last year in communities across Iran. We want to stand with them to see Iran come forward, step into a future and embrace freedom. Do, do that. Are you suggesting that the U.S. would do something to support people if they came up to try to throw over the regime? I thought the policy was no regime. Since the Green Revolution in 2009, the United States has made it clear that we are with the Iranian people. I, I thought that the president's decision to to refrain from a military strike when he learned it could cost 150 Iranian lives. I hope that sends a message to the Iranian people that while we stand firmly against the mm-hmm. Ayatollahs, we have the highest hopes for the Iranian people. But it, but it's time for Iran to recognize that the United States of America will never allow them to obtain a nuclear weapon. That would be a threat to our country, a threat to our cherished ally Israel, and a threat to the world. But if Iran is is willing to abandon their nuclear ambitions and end this reign of terror of 40... Well, they said it... I want to ask you about North Korea. But for 40 years, they've propagated terror. They're the leading state sponsor of terror in the world. Those days must come to an end, and America is going to continue to stand resolved with the people of Iran for a better future for them. Mr. Vice President, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Margaret. Calling off the strike on Iran was actually applauded by some Democrats, including House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. We traveled to Columbia, South Carolina Saturday and asked Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders if the president made the right decision. (laughs) See, it's like somebody 
setting a fire uh, to uh, a basket full of paper and then putting it out. Uh, he helped create the crisis, and then he stopped the attacks. The idea that we're looking at a president of the United States who, number one, thinks that a war with Iran is something that might be good for this country. He was just doing a limited strike. Oh, just a limited strike. Oh, well, I'm sorry. I just didn't know that it's okay to simply attack another country with bombs, just a limited strike. That's an act of warfare. The war in Iraq, Margaret, was a disaster. I believe from the bottom of my heart that the war, a war with Iran would be even worse, more loss of life, never-ending war in that region, massive instability. So I will do everything I can, number one, to stop a war with Iran. You know, let's remember what we learned in civics, you know, when we were kids. It is the United States Congress under our Constitution that has mm -hmm. war-making authority, not the President of the United States. If he attacks Iran, in my view, that would be unconstitutional. So if you are Commander-in-Chief, you will ask Congress for permission yes. before you engage in any kind no, of military no. action? No, look, there are some times of, of, of emergency situations. Okay, that, that I understand. Defensive actions? Yeah, if you're attacked immediately, you have to respond. Nobody believes that we are in that type of emergency situation with Iran right now. So I'm going to do everything we can to stop that war. And what the function of a president should be is to say to Saudi Arabia, which, by the way, is a horrific dictatorship, a brutal dictatorship that kills dissidents, uh, that treats women as third-class citizens. Our job is to say to Saudi Arabia, you know, we're not following your lead. You're going to have to sit down with Iran. We will play a role. Work it out. The United States does not want to continue to lose men and women and trillions of dollars in never-ending wars in the Middle East. Work it out. We'll be back with more of our interview with Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders. Are you having trouble sleeping? NFL players have been coached. Blue light from smart devices, it can affect your sleep. They'll even wear blue blocker glasses in the evening for improved sleep. Others will try tart cherry juice and smoothies. Not only can it help fight inflammation, but to help you sleep, it's got high amounts of natural melatonin that's beneficial for sleep. The other night, my girlfriend told me I was snoring way too much and even the earplugs weren't helping. So the next day, she took me to the Sleep Number store because if I was snoring, at least she could get a good night's sleep on a Sleep Number bed. Sleep Number beds allow you to adjust on each side to your ideal firmness, comfort, and support. The Sleep Number 360 smart bed senses your movement and automatically adjusts to keep you sleeping comfortably through the night. With Sleep IQ technology inside the bed, it tracks how you're sleeping so you can know every morning how well you've slept and gain insights for your best sleep. Experience the smart, effortless comfort of the Sleep Number 360 smart bed. Find your competitive edge with proven quality sleep from $999. Sleep Number is the official sleep and wellness partner of the NFL. You'll only find Sleep Number at one of their 575 Sleep Number stores nationwide. Find the one nearest you at sleepnumber.com slash cadence. That's sleepnumber.com slash C-A-D-E-N-C-E. Sleep Number. We're back with more of our interview with Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders. According to the CBS News polling we've done, the CBS Battleground Tracker indicates your supporters are backing you without considering other candidates. How do you expand beyond that? I'll tell you how. I'm feeling, I've got to tell you, honestly, I'm feeling very good about this campaign. And again, it's different. Last time around, you have to win 51% of the vote. This time, I don't believe anyone's going to come close to 50%. So it's a very different race with 24 candidates. I think we have a strong core of support out there. Uh, often young people, working class people, who understand that to bring about real change in this country, ultimately you're going to have to take on the powers that be. But to move beyond those young voters, the working class, don't you still need to expand and sure win over those blue dog Absolute, Democrats and absolutely. moderates? Absolutely. And I think we have, this is what I think. I think that our message of guaranteeing health care to all people resonates with a significant majority of people who are going to vote Democratic. I think making public colleges and universities tuition free and very substantially lowering student debt, which is an incredible burden on an entire generation of people, is going to win us a lot of support. I think my strong stance that a woman, and not politicians, a woman has the right to control her own body, will resonate 
uh, with many women. Our stance on immigration reform and criminal justice reform. I think those ideas are going to bring in new voters. For those who might feel uncomfortable with the term socialism, you don't think that's going to inhibit those voters? Well, I think I have got to do more work in explaining what that means. Uh, and <clears throat> what that means to me is carrying on the legacy of Franklin Delano Roosevelt. He said, you know, economic rights are human rights, and we have got to guarantee all Americans fundamental economic rights the right to a job that pays you a living wage, the right to health care, the right to education. And we have expanded that to say that economic rights are human rights. That means a clean environment. So what democratic socialism in that sense means to me is guaranteeing all of our people in the wealthiest country in the history of the world a decent retirement, a decent standard of living. Aren't you concerned that someone more familiar like Joe Biden will be well, more acceptable to those moderates see, everybody, in the middle of the country. you got 24 candidates. I think every single one of them will tell you they have work to do, including Joe Biden. I mean, you know, Joe has to defend his record. And, you know, I helped lead the opposition to the war in Iraq, which, in my view, was the worst foreign policy blunder in the modern history in this country. Joe voted for that. Uh, I led the opposition against disastrous trade agreements which cost the workers of this country millions of good-paying jobs. Joe voted for those. I voted against uh, the deregulation of Wall Street, which in my view led to the great economic uh, recession of 2008. Joe voted for that. Congressman John Lewis, a civil rights icon, said this week that Joe Biden's comments about in the past having done some work alongside and with segregationists wasn't offensive. Why do you disagree? I think Joe owes the country an apology on that. And that it is one thing to work with people in the Senate, as you have to do, as every senator does, I do, with people who you have fundamental disagreements with. That's one thing. You do that. That's your job. But it's another thing to kind of extol that those relationships. You cannot be extolling people who really were part of a disgusting system that oppressed and terrorized millions of African-Americans in this country. But don't you think he believes those things? Yeah. Do I believe if your question is, do I think Joe Biden is a racist? Absolutely not. No, I don't. Not for a second. Joe is a friend of mine. I like Joe. And I hope very much that this campaign will be about the real issues facing the American people and not, you know, ugly, you know, attacks. There are ice raids set to start estimates of some 2000 people or so who will be targeted. Is this appropriate? No, it's not. It is absolutely not appropriate. But specifically on this point, the 2000 that are supposed to be targeted haven't shown up for court dates. Essentially, they're, they're not following the asylum process, the legal standards yeah. when they're here. So should they be prosecuted? Should they be deported? I don't like this deportation thing at all, and I think Trump uses this as a beginning to do worse things to come. Trump thinks that he can win re-election, and this is his political game. It's not an accident that he announced this the same time he went through his uh, uh, his announcement that he was seeking re-election. You think this is purely politically motivated? Yeah, I do. And I think that, look, it's not to say that we don't have a serious problem, but there are ways for serious people to deal with serious immigration problems. It is a problem. But what he is doing, and this is his entire political strategy, is to divide the American people up. I appreciate you making time. Margaret, thank you very much for having me. I was just getting warmed up, Margaret. Our full interview with Senator Sanders can be found on our website, facethenation.com. We'll have more from South Carolina when we come back. What's your next adventure? Everyone deserves a chance to do what they love. Pacific Life helps you reach financial goals while you go after your personal ones. Plans change over time and your financial solutions can too. Pacific Life has a variety of financial solutions that can help you complement your life goals and passions while managing the uncertainties. Backed by more than 150 years of experience, you can count on Pacific Life to be there so you can go out and keep living your best life. Pacific Life is one of the most dependable and experienced insurers in the industry and has been named one of the 2019 world's most ethical companies by the Ethisphere Institute. The freedom to go after whatever is next for you? That's the power of Pacific. Ask a financial professional about how Pacific Life can help give you the freedom to do what you love. Or visit www.pacificlife.com. 
CBS News political correspondent Ed O'Keefe was also in Colombia Saturday. And despite a case of laryngitis, he did catch up with California Senator Kamala Harris and asked her if Democrats should give the president credit for calling off a strike on Iran. I don't believe that anyone should receive credit for a crisis of their own making. There is no question in my mind that the current occupant of the White House, President Trump, put in place a series of events that led to that event. How would a President Harris fix the problem? Well, frankly, I, I believe that we need to get back into the Iran nuclear deal. I, I, would, I would strengthen it. I would include ballistic, ballistic missile testing. Um, I think that we can strengthen what we do in terms of monitoring and verification of, of progress. But there's no question that uh, it, it, a lot of negotiation with a great deal of depth took place over a long period of time to reach that agreement. And it was, um, it was an agreement that was being complied with by all parties. Where do you rank Iran in terms of threats to the United States? I am on the Senate Intelligence Committee. On a very consistent basis, I receive classified briefings about the threats to our nation's security. And um, on the list of, of, of potential threats, especially in terms of nuclear threat, uh, North Korea is, of course, on that list, and Iran is on that list. And there are others. But we have to conduct ourselves in a way that we are smart about what we do to have one and one goal only, which is ensuring that our nation is secure. And um, it cannot be the goal to, to, to express one's ego and to um, engage in gamesmanship without much serious regard to the consequence. And I think that's what we've seen in this president. We'll be right back with more of CBS News political correspondent Ed O'Keefe's interview with Senator Kamala Harris, plus interviews with two key House leaders on Iran, Democrat Adam Smith and Republican Michael McCall will be with us along with our political panel. So stay with Face the Nation. Memories make us laugh and cry. And sometimes cringe when we look back at our fashion choices. But in between flashbacks of bowl cuts and dad jeans, our memories are fading. And so is the old media that holds them. Hi, I'm Adam Baselogger. And I'm Nick Mako, and we're the founders of Legacy Box. Legacy Box is the easiest and safest way to preserve your family memories. Here's how it works. Fill Legacy Box with your outdated media. We professionally digitize and send them back on DVDs, thumb drive, or the cloud. Look, those forgotten home movies, VHS tapes, film reels, and photos are degrading right before your eyes. Experience peace of mind and enjoy reliving the glory days. Join more than half a million families who have already trusted Legacy Box. Save your memories today. Visit LegacyBox.com save. And for a limited time, get 40% off your order. That's LegacyBox.com slash save for 40% off. LegacyBox.com slash save. Welcome back to Face the Nation. We continue with Ed O'Keefe's interview with Senator Kamala Harris. President is set to meet with uh, Vladimir Putin mm-hmm. at the G20. Would you meet with him if you're president? It depends. I mean, listen, I believe that we do have to have open lines of communication. Um, and I will never foreclose that um, as, as, as a viable option. Um, but let's be clear about this president's relationship with Russia. The current president of the United States has taken the word of the Russian president over the word of the American intelligence community on the issue of the election in 2016. The current president of the United States takes the word of a North Korean dictator over the word of the American intelligence community when it comes to an American student who was tortured and later died. The current president of the United States takes the word of a Saudi prince over the word of the American intelligence community when it comes to a journalist who was assassinated, a journalist who has American credentials. So I would not do that. I trust the intelligence community of the United States. But it would not be without an appropriate amount of, one, reading the briefing book. Let's start there. Sadly that we even have to talk about that as being a requirement. It would not be without meeting with 
leaders in our Department of State, meeting with our military leaders to determine what is the smartest and best course of action for the United States. These are not just about relationships that are based on some some trust that or maybe previous relationship that that president has with the president of Russia. It has to be based on what is in America's best interest, not self-interest. Let's talk about Joe Biden. Okay. You've criticized him um, for praising his ability to work with people who had very different views. No, that wasn't my criticism. What was your criticism? I applaud any effort to work across party lines around common goals and common interests. But what bothered you? Praising and coddling individuals who made it their life works and built their reputation off of segregation of the races in the United States. That's a problem. I would not be a member of the United States Senate if those men that he praised had their way. I wouldn't. And one of the things they did is, and he inferred this, is they might have called someone like him who was younger, son. They might have called the black man boy. And that's been part of the issue for a lot of African Americans we've talked to here and across the country. Of course it is. Is that offensive to you? We cannot be ignorant of the history of race in this country. And certainly anyone who is a leader should not be. That is a very loaded term, loaded with a history that includes extreme racism, violence, um, discrimination, prejudice, you name it. All of that, it's a very loaded term. And I think it is very important that we all who, who are leaders or profess to be leaders, that we choose our words carefully understanding the significance and the power of our word. Thanks to Ed for powering through some laryngitis there. You can see more of his interview with Senator Harris on CBS News platforms, including CBSN and on our website. We turn now to the chairman of the Armed Services Committee, Washington Congressman Adam Smith. Good morning to you, Mr. Chairman. Good morning. How are you? Very well. Uh, You met with President Trump before uh, we knew he was going to carry out and then call back the strike on Iran. Were you surprised that it didn't happen? No. I mean, based on the conversation we had, it was very clear the president was legitimately torn as to what the correct approach was in response. So it, it doesn't surprise me that he made a last-second decision. Uh, I think it was also clear that the administration, depending on who you talk to, there's a different policy. I think the National Security Advisor, John Bolton, has one idea of what the policy in Iran ought to be. I think the president has a different one. I think the Department of Defense has a different one as well. So they're moving towards different objectives. um, And that, I think, leads to the tension and the sort of last-minute decision we all heard about. Cyber Command uh, is now its own combatant command. Um, And so I want to know if you were in any way briefed or have any knowledge about what CBS News has confirmed, which is that President Trump authorized cyber offensive cyber operations on Iran's missile and rocket systems, computers well, if, powering it. If I did, I couldn't talk about it. So I don't I can't really talk about what, what the classified actions are. Would something like that be sufficient retaliation for the well, I think we need to downing take a, of a, need to take a step back here. To, to, what is the policy? What, what are we trying to accomplish? I mean, we're in a conversation about what happened with the drone. But the drone really was part, was a small piece of a much larger picture, and that is the maximum pressure campaign that this administration has put on Iran. And what's confusing to me is when the president met with us, he emphasized that the purpose of this campaign was to stop Iran from getting a nuclear weapon. Now, we've heard previously from some other administration people that it's about Iran's malign activity in the region, and certainly there is plenty of it in Syria, in Lebanon, and Yemen. But what's it about? What are you trying to accomplish? And if you don't know, then what is the plan? The maximum pressure campaign... The president says he wants negotiations. Right. But why tear up the JCPOA? And I think that's the worst part of this. That's the nuclear accord. Right. Sorry, the nuclear accord. Because if your goal is to stop them from getting nuclear weapons, that agreement was working. And I'll tell you, based on what I've heard them say... It's not now, though, is what the IAEA is starting to indicate, that Iran is ramping up. Because we walked away from it. So we we do this maximum pressure campaign to cripple the Iranian economy, to back them into a corner where our own intelligence people told us this is what Iran would do. And yet, even though we knew they were going to do it, we didn't know how to respond. And it's not getting them to the negotiating table. They're not there. 
I want to also ask you about immigration. You heard uh, my conversation yes. with the vice president, and he himself said that some of these conditions at U.S. border facilities where children are being held are unacceptable. Absolutely. He said Democrats wouldn't approve beds for these facilities. Yeah, that's that's not true. The problem. Look, there Wasn't is, that a sticking point in one the, of the authorizations for emergency funding? The, the, the main sticking point is the wall. What the president has in talked about. In this round of emergency funding. In, in every negotiation we've had, that has been a major sticking point. Number one is the wall. And number two is Democrats do not trust this president to implement a humane policy when it comes to the immigrants. There so is, will you vote for it? Emergency I don't funding know what to it help. Is. Um, it depends on what's it depends on what's funding. It, I'm sorry. It, it depends on what's in it. All right. I'm not going to vote blindly for whatever they throw at us. And I want to explain why there is a crisis on the border. No question. The president's policies have contributed to that crisis. His his maximum pressure campaign on U.S. immigrants has led a lot of people in Central America to think this is their last chance of ever getting into America. And then he cuts off the money that's helping Central America try, try to deal with the economic and, and, and criminal justice problems they have down there to make the situation worse. So the crisis is created. And then the proposed solution, mass deportation and building a wall. Look, we need to build better facilities on the border. And if we could trust the president to do that, to not. I mean, look, I'm chairman of the Armed Services Committee. The Department of Defense just had about six billion dollars diverted to build a wall. Mm-hmm. We can't trust this president with the money we give him to not use it for the wrong purposes. That has to be part of the negotiation as well. So you would only well. support something that was narrowly focused on just providing, say, beds for children or Absolutely. toothbrushes for children. Or, or you know, there, there are a lot of different ways to get them into proper housing. Toothbrushes. Also, there are a lot of private organizations that would take in these migrants while they're awaiting their trial. Work with them. Find alternative solutions. And remember, a lot of this came, as, as then Attorney General Jeff Sessions said, they want to make this as painful as possible so people won't come. It's clear that was the wrong policy. I want to ask you about what the president also announced today, which was that there's a delay in this roundup of migrants who are here illegally and then not following the asylum process. So continuing to break the law. Do you think that people who don't show up for their court dates should be deported? I think we can implement a better policy. Under the Obama administration, there was a pilot program that was put in place that, like I said, took migrants who came in seeking asylum, put them into private housing, gave them basically you know, a, a decent place to live. And 98% of them showed up for the trial. I do not agree with the vice president on the statistics about how many of these people don't show up. It is not as high a number as he said. If you implemented the proper policy, mm-hmm. you wouldn't have to be, you know, ripping families up and, and deporting them. So I think we need a better, more humane policy to address mm-hmm. what is legitimately a crisis. What's going on with the children and the families at the border right now is unacceptable in this country. And we must work to fix it. Unacceptable seems to be the word everyone agrees on. Nothing else, though. Congressman, thank you. We'll be right back with the top Republican on the House Foreign Affairs Committee, Texas Congressman Mike McCall. I used to think that all diet and weight loss plans were the same. Well, not anymore, because I found Noom. Noom is a new and totally different approach to losing weight and getting healthy that uses psychology and small goals to help change your habits. So it's easy to lose the weight and keep it off for good. Noom combines the power of technology with real human support, offering as little or as much help as you want along the way. And since Noom is an app, it's always with you and easy to use, which makes it super easy to stay on track and reach your goals. Plus, it's really simple to get started. Just go online, answer a few quick questions, and they'll create a personalized program just for you. Noom helped me lose my old way of thinking about food and dieting. So what do you have to lose? Visit Noom.com slash podcast, N-O-O-M dot com slash podcast, and start your 14-day trial today. Like they say, change your habits, change your mind, and change for good with Noom. For some Republican perspective now, we want to bring into the conversation Texas Congressman Michael McCall. Good morning to you. Nice to have you here on set in person. Thanks, Margaret. Uh, We've been talking about Iran, but also immigration. And I want to ask you, because in your home state, as you know, there are these, what everyone seems to agree, unacceptable conditions for children being detained there. What do you intend to do about it? Because the vice president says it's Congress's fault. Well, I think uh, the uh, vice president is correct. We tried to fix this last Congress with uh, my bill and Chairman Goodlatte. It was... um, 
voted down by every Democrat. It would have provided $25 billion for border security, changed these legal loopholes, asylum laws, so the magnet it is not there for them to come in, and it fixed the DACA system. It didn't, didn't work, so now we are in this Congress. I think very little appetite on the other side to get anything done, but I think at a minimum, Margaret, we have to pass humanitarian aid to take care of these children. Uh, that is the nation we are. Uh, we have to take care of these kids. So, so you're, should okay. that be separated out from all the other things regarding border security that you just described? I'd like to see it all together. But you know what? If if my choice uh, on the mi- minority side is to vote up or down on a compassionate humanitarian package, that's what I'm going to do because it's the right thing to do. And do you foresee that happening anytime soon? I mean, you just heard uh, Congressman before you saying that things actually haven't been detailed yet. He can't say what he'll vote on because he doesn't actually know what's going to be included in it. Well, you know, I'm on that committee as well. We are looking through the draft uh, right now uh, to see what's in it. And it has to be passed soon because uh, both DHS and HHS will run out of money at the end of this month. And so... This, this is real stuff. I mean, they're not going to have money to take care of these children and properly detain, like they already don't. house, and feed them. Hmm? Well, it sounds like there may not be adequate sanitary conditions, unacceptable. I don't think I, well. I don't think it's it's I me. Mean, I've, I've lived in that state. I've been down there throughout my 15 years in Congress, and before that as a federal prosecutor. Uh, this is the worst I've ever seen it, and it has to be taken care of. I also want to ask you about Iran. Um, You've been speaking to the White House. Was it a surprise to you that the president pulled back from this military strike? Um, To some extent, yes. We were uh, invited. I commend the president for bringing in all the national security leaders in the Congress, House, Senate, bipartisan, to discuss um, what should we do. Uh, It was was almost like um, historically, like almost like the Cuban Missile Crisis. You know, I can hit this island, I can strike Iran, but then what would be the consequences if I did that? Are there other alternatives to that? Uh, One thought was if you kill Iranians on Iranian soil, you will only aggravate the situation. The Iranians will uh, rile up around the Ayatollah and become more anti-American, and they will unleash what they call the proxy war, the proxies being Hezbollah, Hamas, and other terrorist organizations. I think, you know, what the president did He exercised restraint. He was thoughtful and measured and said, you know what, I'm going to take a step back right now. When he found out that 150 people would be killed, take a step back and see if there's another way to get this done. We know since that time that cyber operations have been conducted to bring down the command and control uh, of these missile systems. Well, I should say it's been reported. And, you know, that's how I have to say it. It's been reported. And that's a very effective uh, warfare game that we're playing uh, against Iranians. So they are getting hit. Their energy sector is crippled by the sanctions. We're going we're gonna to introduce more sanctions against Iran to get them to that place where we can negotiate. I talked to Secretary Pompeo yesterday. He's traveling to the region right now to meet with coalition partners. And then there's a national security, UN national security meeting on Monday mm-hmm. to talk about Iran and condemning Iran for its actions in the Straits of Hormuz. Do you think this creates a credibility problem for the president to so openly discuss his discomfort with carrying out military strikes? I guess you can say that. It almost shows a more human uh, element to him, a side that we don't normally see. Uh, We usually see a a president that hits back, whether it be a tweet or whatever, he hits back. And now you have Iran hitting a U.S. military asset, and he's not— Hitting back, I, he does. I I know from, from that meeting, he has no appetite to go to war in Iran. He doesn't want to get dragged into a ten-year, decade war in Iran. He wants to do everything he can to exhaust every other possibility to stop uh, that from happening. He wants Iran to be nuclear free, and he thinks this is the best way to do it. The, the administration's been offering talks without preconditions to Iran since the beginning of June publicly. There's been no bite thus far. Mm-hmm. Putting more and more sanctions on, doesn't that just add to the desperateness of Iran? Don't you expect more instability? And I think that's what we want. We, we, we want, we want them to be more desperate. We want them to be uh, have their economy uh, crippled. We want them in a, in a position where they have to negotiate with us and the coalition partners in the free world 
towards a better Iran for their people without nuclear weapons. And I think that is the ultimate goal. And I, I think this route, as opposed to what President Obama did, where he lifted them up and gave them $150 billion in cash and re-energized their terror operations, I don't think that one worked too well. Congressman, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Margaret. We'll be back in a moment with our political panel. Joining us now for some political analysis are Jamal Simmons, a host on Hill TV and a Democratic strategist, and Selena Zito, columnist for The Washington Examiner. Good to have both of you here. You've been spending a lot of time in South Carolina uh, this past week. Um, It's early days, but we know polling continues to show Senator Biden or Senator Vice President uh, Biden. Senator Vice President. President. (laughs) He named the title. He probably had it. Well, exactly. He's been around a while, uh, which may be a good thing or a bad thing, depending on who you talk to. But, uh, Selena, is it a good thing or a bad thing for the Democrats you spoke to? I mean, what are you hearing about Biden when you were talking to people in South Carolina? The most interesting thing I heard from Democrats in South Carolina, and I was all over the state, was that they don't necessarily need to fall in love this time. They just need to coalesce around someone whom they believe they could win. In my interviews, Biden still was definitely the favorite um, among suburban men, among white men, among African-Americans. Suburban women, though, I saw an uptick for uh, Senator Warren. Um, a lot of suburban women found her message compelling and thought of her as a fighter. So that was sort of my overview of what I, of what I heard. But I, the, the thing I consistently heard is we're just, whoever is going to be, whoever we think is going to win, we're going to go behind that person because we ultimately want someone who can beat Donald Trump. Do you agree with that? Uh, I heard a little bit more. um, People are asking a lot of questions. So Vice President Biden is certainly somebody who everyone's very fond of. He seemed like he was everyone's first choice about what they hoped would occur. I also heard people saying they wanted to see more of him. It felt like he hadn't been down there enough. Uh, You heard people talk about retail, not enough retail. He just hadn't been in the state. They hadn't seen him and touched him. And you couldn't just do it as a surrogate. I heard a lot of good things about Cory Booker. A lot of good things about his team on the ground, that he's showing up all the time. And South Carolina is one of those states where they want to do a scratch and sniff. They want to see what you're really like, uh, not just let other people uh, speak for you. So there was a lot of coverage, certainly, and controversy. We heard from other candidates criticism of Joe Biden's remarks uh, this past week uh, regarding past work with segregationists. Is that something that matters in the news cycle, but also matters to voters, or were they kind of oblivious to it? So uh, this, at that point when I was there, this wasn't as big of a deal. I've heard a lot about it since uh, the beginning of, since the end of last week, beginning of this week. Um, and so here's the question that I've heard. Uh, you know, when Fannie Lou Hamer said that she was sick and tired of being sick and tired, she was talking about Jim Eastland and the Democratic Party in Mississippi. And so for Joe Biden to kind of reflect on that with fondness is what people didn't like. Listen, African-Americans understand about working with people who are segregationists or else they wouldn't be here anymore. Uh, but this idea that Joe Biden looked back at this era as something that was fond, it was something that seemed to strike the chord of particularly a couple of older folks that I've talked to this week. Yeah, my experience, I, I, I was down there just as this came out. It hadn't really penetrated the electorate yet. Um, and they, they tend to view things from their perspective, what they're experiencing. And sometimes the, the national news doesn't always hit them. And it takes a couple of weeks before they start to really discuss whether this is a problem. On or the not. local level. Right. On the very on the most granular level. Yeah, for sure. So what was resonating? What are people looking for in these candidates? You said not necessarily to fall in love, but what do they want? They want to win, <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, th- that, is, th- that is the utmost importance is that they want to win. The danger for a candidate is that uh, when you are the candidate everyone thinks is going to win, the minute somebody else looks like they're right. going to win, you can see people shift very quickly Whack-a-mole, than one of the other candidates. Right? Yeah. People rise, people fall. And, it, in, the yeah. la- in the last election where we had a Republican incumbent where Democrats were running in 2004, we saw this. People went from Joe Lieberman to John Edwards to John Kerry to Wesley Clark to back to John Kerry. It all moved around a lot. So I think candidates, this is a long way. We even, haven't even had the very first debate question yet. A long way to people making final decisions. And you're, you're setting us up for this week with the first round of debates. What about the two candidates we heard from on the program today? How are Senators Bernie Sanders and Kamala Harris doing in South Carolina? Um, 
Kamala Harris is struggling right now. Um, she really hasn't resonated yet with the voters, even though I think she spent a decent amount of time down there, uh, along with Cory Booker. Uh, that doesn't, I wouldn't mean that discounts her. Uh, I just, she hasn't resonated yet. I do think that the debates are going to be something that, that sort of um, elevates some and then others start to fall, fall down. Uh, Bernie Sanders has always maintained his core supporters. And his core supporters, like Trump, supporters. They don't move away from him. Even to the Senator Warren? Uh, th- well, they might. It de- I think, again, I think it depends on, on, on who, who has the most presidential timber in the debate, who sort of stands out and, and seems as though they can bring not just their supporters there, but also broaden their uh, appeal to other voters. Kamala Harris was, uh, I think she had really good performances this week, uh, this week at the Fish Fry and then at the South Carolina dinner last night. I hear a lot of people saying on Twitter and people I've talked to, I trust, Bakari Sellers, they really are very happy about Kamala Harris's performance. Um, with Bernie Sanders, you know, uh, uh, Pete Buttigieg has a line about Joe Biden that he wants to take us back to the 20-teens. Bernie Sanders kind of wants to take us back to the 19-teens, a little bit like Eugene Debs running for president as a socialist again. Uh, and I don't know that that's going to help him with the older voters who are the ones that he needs to grow with. He's already good with the young folks. The question is, older voters who actually know what socialism is, mm-hmm. is talking about socialism the way to get them to come over to Bernie Sanders? I just don't see it. Selena, you also, of course, are tracking President Trump's re-election bid here. Did this stand off? stand down with Iran and on the migrants affect him? Will that? Is that part of a strategy? Uh, I don't think it impacts him. And here's why. Uh, A lot of this new coalition, this sort of conservative populist coalition, has less about having hawks in it and more about people, or I I don't know if you call them doves, but people that were very fed up with the establishment and the Republican Party, uh, that that everything sort of, in their minds, led to war or led to confrontation. Mm -hmm. And, And so among his base, for the majority of his base, this was a good move for him. Um, I, I also on on his base, I think it's really, really important uh, that something gets done on the border because okay. those images are just inhumane. That's it for us today. Thank you for watching. Until next week for Face the Nation, I'm Margaret Brennan. Today's guests were Vice President Mike Pence, Vermont Independent Senator Bernie Sanders, Washington Democratic Congressman Adam Smith, and Texas Republican Congressman Michael McCall. The executive producer of Face the Nation is Mary Hager. This broadcast was directed by Allison Hawley. Face the Nation originates from CBS News in Washington. For more Face the Nation, we're online at facethenation.com, and you can follow Face the Nation and CBS Radio News on Twitter and Instagram. Face the Nation is also rebroadcast on our digital network, CBSN, at 11 a.m., 3 p.m., and 6 p.m. Eastern every Sunday. If you like Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.